You're listening to an episode of the Break the Cycle podcast on the SVTV network. Hey folks, welcome to episode 22. <laughs> uh I keep saying it's been a while but I'm really not sure how long I have taken to upload this. Um It's been a weird time, but I digress. I look at this man as someone I met completely out of the blue. Um and having followed his work, having spoken to him, met him and actually trained with him a couple of times, um he truly embodies the word relentless. I'm talking about a man who at the age of I think he just turned 40 at that time uh took up a professional MMA fight um and trained for it really really hard and he trains really really hard every day with 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 the guys uh in in the dojo in his with his team and I'm talking about Mr. Jitendra Khare uh he's the head coach for team relentless one of india's finest mixed martial arts teams um but what i truly wanted to speak to him about was not just fighting um i wanted to speak to him about the mindset the mindset of being relentless the way he's trained uh his team the way he's trained himself to just go out there and win or lose doesn't really matter you're going to give it your best and that's that that philosophy in and of itself was just beautiful to witness beautiful to be around and i hope you guys uh take take something away from it too and uh, i'm going to try and <laughs> i'm going to try and make the show a little more regular um uh, i'm also thinking about changing formats a little because it's a little difficult to get guests especially around this time So um we'll see how that goes but for now enjoy the episode see ya and we're on we were trying this yesterday and it failed <laughs> <laughs> thank you for taking the time out sir pleasure aata pleasure so um i've been wanting to invite you on the show for a while but i think it's just been all over the place plus with the whole lockdown it's been kind of crazy Yeah, I think everything been kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I am going to first introduce you to everyone who's listening to this. Uh ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jitendra Khare. He's the head coach and team captain for Team Relentless, one of India's top MMA teams. Uh I would say so and I think the record shows that as well. <laughs> You've done some phenomenal stuff in in India and internationally. Thank you for that other. I wanted to I actually wanted to know how that came about. So I I am quite interested to understand the story and the journey of Team Relentless first. Actually Team Relentless started in 2012 Aadhar um, um you know I was uh, tied up with uh, a particular promotion and I had started uh, working with them and building uh, you know started building the promotion up from ground level helping them build it up. and uh, due to some unfortunate uh, you know circumstances and difference of opinions i had to walk out of that promotion so at that point uh, you know it was a very uh, in the hindsight it was very funny how the name team relentless came about was because uh, we got threatened that uh, you know 
oh, that uh, we cannot uh, practice MMA and you know we are blacklisted by that promotion and if uh, we practice MMA we'll uh-huh. be sued for even using the term MMA apparently and uh, we were like uh, yeah yeah I mean okay. I've been told that so we were like uh, well that sounds interesting let's see how that works uh-huh. uh, we were a group of guys at that point because at that point uh, you know everyone wanted to fight for that particular promotion and so nobody wanted to come train with us but uh, we were a group of about uh, I think five of us when we started Team Relentless so we just uh, started training and then uh, you know the rest they say is history today here we are with about uh, I don't know 28 odd fighters in the team that's that's amazing with a lot of them just doing some really crazy things. I mean, I know two people who fought at the one uh, uh, one championship Warriors, event. One Warrior Series. One Warrior Series, yes. Yeah, so we've got about, uh, right now we've got about four to five pro fighters. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of amateur fighters, about 2021. 20, out of which, uh, you know, there are at least uh, uh, half a dozen fighters, which I think should... Uh, I mean, my plan was to tra- turn them pro in 2020, but... Uh, well, let's see. I mean, the goal right you now are, is to survive. You already decided to screw with us. Yeah. It's been a long but a very you know, satisfying journey. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been a fun ride. I'm sure. I actually want to know about your journey as well. Because, I mean, um, obviously, uh, I do know a little bit of it. I also know about your first fight. But I'm not going to spill the beans on that. I would rather have you kind of Tell us about how you, how, how this and why this specifically. So, uh, Adhar, I've always, uh, you know, I've been a martial artist for life. I was in a boarding school where boxing was part of one of the sports we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were blessed to have a great boxing coach uh, who was also into, uh, you know, uh, karate. And uh, he taught us a lot of karate, but... Uh, you know, I mean, you can't call it mixed martial arts way back then, but yes, he did teach us a bit of, you know, judo throws along with it and some stuff on the ground. So it was, you know, it's, it's been something I've always uh, done. Uh, you know, since I was in fifth standard, I started boxing and doing karate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then I would come back to my hometown on my vacations and that was, uh, you know, we used to have a bit of mud pit wrestling there. So I used to go there and do some mud pit wrestling. Uh, though most of my mud pit wrestling is me getting my face uh, rubbed into the sand. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's how you learn, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so that's that's how I dabbled around with martial arts. Uh, you know, post my 12th standard, obviously my boxing and all other sports went for a toss because I was doing my diploma in aircraft maintenance engineering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but I was still doing powerlifting at that point. And uh, I had an unfortunate incident where I landed up with a slip disc and uh, I was out of action for almost a year. Mm-hmm. So coming back, uh, you know, my uh, doctor at that point suggested that I should do some sort of, you know, flexibility training, maybe try some martial arts. And uh, this was way back, I think this was way back in 98, 90, 97, 98. And uh, at that point, obviously, you know, I just got myself a bag and I was doing some uh, punching and kicking from my past experience and uh, one of the days in like early 2000 is when I remember ESPN had started showing Pride FC fights in India 
and uh, I just happened to chance upon you know one of the uh, cards and initially my thought when I saw the fighters walk out was wow this looks like a bad WWE I mean these fighters I mean th these guys don't look like wrestlers uh -huh. I saw Thor and I saw Rampage Jackson and I remember Rampage Jackson walking around with his chain and I was like this has to be WWE but mm -hmm. I saw the fights I was like no man this isn't WWE <laughs> I got hooked on and uh, from there you know I, I wanted to I started reading up a lot about MMA and started watching videos. Mm -hmm. It was quite a nightmare because those were the days of dial-up network. So to watch uh, one fight, you had to let it upload whole night. Yeah. So might you just might be able to watch it the next day. Because so <laughs> you was, had the old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and if somebody by mistake touches it, you're done. I mean, that whole <laughs> night's effort is gone. So yeah. yeah, I mean, that's how I started uh, following MMA. Then I used to, you know, I was inquiring around to find out somewhere where I could, you know, work on my grappling skills. And uh, <clears throat> I started uh, then training judo under my coach, uh, Mr. Ashok Chaudhary, mm -hmm. uh, who used to, uh, who has an academy called Challenger Judo Academy. And uh, basically, he was the guy who laid down my foundation for uh, gi training. You know, he taught me basics about gi gripping and a lot of throws and uh, he was, uh, you know, also very fond of the Nevaza factor in judo. So we would roll a lot. Right. And uh, that's how, you know, basically I started grappling. Mm -hmm. In about 2008-2009 is when I actually started doing some BJJ. But uh, my real training actually started in 2012. And uh, what happened is when we formed Team Relentless, <laughs> at that time I was like the eldest member in the team and... Uh, by default, you know, you tend to assume the role of a coach and mm. everyone kind of looked up to you saying, oh, you know, you'll figure this out and you'll figure this out. Right. So initially, yes, I did a lot of competitions, especially, uh, you know, BJJ competitions. Uh, at that point, you know, way back then, there were not many BJJ competitions or MMA competitions happening in India, to be very honest. So we used to travel a lot, travel to Singapore. Uh, you know, where uh, my coach, uh, Mr. Darren De Silva, uh, you know, supported us a lot. He gave us a place to stay and train and, you know, it's mm -hmm. been uh, eight years now and you know, not even once has he ever, uh, <clears throat> you know, taken a dime for from us for all that. And uh, so what, what, at that point, you know, the natural choices that we had to make was who will fight this tournament? Because we had to pool in money for a couple of guys to go over and compete. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously, uh, I being, I mean, I was almost <clears throat> about 33 by then. So, you know, and the guys that I was training with were all young and upcoming. So, I, I would always take a back seat and let them take the first, uh, you know, mm -hmm. shot at it. And uh, if and when, whenever we got a bit of, uh, you know, sponsorship from somewhere, then I would also get to go and compete. Right. So, somehow, yes, I remained active in the BJJ circuit. And uh, I was sparring and training daily for MMA, but I never really got to fight MMA in a cage till I turned 39 and I decided that, uh, you know, uh, before I start uh, moving towards the latter half of my clock, I think I should. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a huge task in front of me. I had put on enormous amount of weight due to some uh, injuries as well. And uh, I guess I had gone into a comfort zone there. I had gotten complacent as a coach and I was mm -hmm. happy doing my own training, mm -hmm. competing in BJJ and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, this is all I'm going to do. 
but uh, i you know it was a good wake up call for me because i realized that i was letting my health slip and i put myself a target i said you know i was about 142 kgs back then and uh, i was like this isn't happening so at first i decided that i'll get my weight down to about 120 and uh, i'll do my first mma fight mm-hmm. and 120 happened i was like maybe i can push it a little more because the first offer i got to fight was in malaysia and the opponent i was offered was 110 right like uh, well that's going to take me another 3 to 4 months i didn't want to cut that kind of weight right and stuff because at 39 i knew i would never recover from that kind of a weight cut mm-hmm. so i i you know i honestly told the guy that listen you know i i don't i mean if you want to keep it at 115 i'm ready to do it but uh, that wasn't going to happen so i decided final you know get myself down to 100 so i think i'll start getting fights uh, i remember when i got to 110 108 i was like my you know my couple of my teammates were like let's let's try and push it to double figures and let's fight them right i was like well let's try that let's see i mean to be very honest at that point uh, you know i was like maybe you know that double figures is not going to happen <laughs> but uh, surprisingly i took my first fight at 87 kgs which is and, uh, yeah thanks to my coach darren sir i he made me cut to 86 because he always believes it's a uh, better to weigh lesser yeah. than you know yeah because weighing oh. scales that so he made me cut down to 86 and then fight so 140 to 86 yeah 142 to 86 and uh, so it was an experience of a lifetime it took me I mean, I would like to say it happened overnight, but yeah, it took two years of hard work, mm-hmm. two years of discipline, two years of training, and uh, believe me, my knees have never thanked me more. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it it was great. Uh, though mm-hmm. I lost the fight, I mean, I lost a split decision, but believe me, no regrets. I would do that again anytime, anytime. full disclosure your story was one of the inspirations for a lot of us to actually just get up and look at ourselves in the mirror and go you're 30 you can do this <laughs> so no uh, that's one of the things uh, i have always uh, followed adhar i always believe that you know uh, if i can't do anything i can't expect my team to do it it's mm-hmm. wrong on my behalf because you know it's it's okay to be an armchair general but the kind of sport we are in you know mm-hmm. and the way we push like for that matter you know how i push my team you know i i you know it, it, there is going to come a point where somebody is going to turn around and say listen it's easy for you to sit there and call out right you know, it's not easy for us to do it so i have always believed that as long as i can do it mm-hmm. my team shouldn't have an excuse not to right because you know i'm the eldest guy in that room and if i'm doing it uh, pro and probably the most unfit guy in that room too but i would not say that to, but okay I mean considering uh, it's it was heartening to see uh, you train the same way and with the same intensity as everyone else obviously like because being a fly in that room for i don't know about 5 or 6 times uh, that I've been there uh, I was always like I mean from the corner of my eye I would probably see you spar with someone there and it was always full intensity and for me i could never really figure out how is how is that engine working so uh i wish i could give you an intellectual answer but the answer is that uh, you know when you are sparring especially yeah. with guys who are 10 and 12 and 14 years younger than you 
<laughs> and their only goal is to try and take your head off. Uh, you have no option but to, you know, uh, give you a hundred percent every round and try and, uh, you know, survive or get better of them. Mm-hmm. So the message that, uh, you know, I like to send out when I'm sparring is I'm old, I'm not dead. So <laughs> <laughs> now I guess it's, I, I see, so it's, it's a very cliche thing to say, you know, iron sharpens iron, but I think my team has helped me, uh, you know, be what I am and it may helps me do what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is that I always tell uh, all my guys, you know, and I, I know that even you know this is, I tell them that if you respect me, don't, uh, you know, go easy on me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, get complacent. I don't, I want to stay sharp. Right. The only way I'm going to uh, stay sharp is by, you know, uh, by keeping on uh, improving. Mm-hmm. And that's only going to happen if I have guys that are going after me every single day. Right. You know? And uh, I think that the one culture that we've been able to do and maintain on our mats is that that healthy competition. Right. So, you know, if any of the guys, they get me with a submission or if they get me with a strike, you know, it's something to laugh about that. Right. See, this worked on you this time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, try that again next time and I'll see if that works. <laughs> so I guess, you know, that, that, that has been uh, a very elemental in keeping me going, to be very honest. Mm-hmm. And I still remember the last six months of my training camp it was just phenomenal. I had guys, you know, from a couple of guys from Combat Kinetics in Chennai, like Lenin and Kaushik. Mm-hmm. And then I had guys, a couple of guys from PCA Nagaland, like Imkong. And a couple of, uh, you know, my friends that are one of the best coaches in the country, like Mr. Samit Bhatt and uh, Joe Philal. And, you know, these guys, they just volunteered to come down and, you know, help me get ready for my fight. I mean, it was crazy. Like, the moment I told them that, guys, you know, I've signed up for this fight. This fight is obviously this date. I had guys telling me, like, fair enough. You know, I'm going to come down for a week and I'm going to hold pads for you. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's crazy. That's because, actually. you know, it's for me to train with guys like, you know, Mr. Samit Bhatt and Joe Philal, especially, you know, I consider them one of the best striking coaches in the country. It mm-hmm. was a treat, especially with me getting ready for my fight. Man, they put me through the grind. They put me through the grind. And then I had guys like, you know, Lenin and Abu and Akoshik and Imkong coming over from different parts of the country to help me get ready for my fight. It was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal experience. I, I, it, you know, going into the cage, I knew that I was as ready as I could be. It's amazing. How did you make that switch though? Uh, actually, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. So before I ask you, <clears throat> before I ask you the question that, came to my mind when you spoke about culture. I actually want to know um, the decision that you had to make. Um, because you mentioned that you did your engineering, specifically. Yeah. And conventionally speaking, in India at least, martial arts is not particularly a career that that is sustainable. When I say sustainable, I mean in the conventional norm of there are, there are health benefits, there's money coming in and you can do 50,000 things or whatever. And it's also, to a degree, the wear and tear also increases because you're a lot more active than anyone who's relatively comfortable in working out in a day or two. How did that decision come about? So to be very honest, uh, Adhar, I did my engineering because I had no option. <laughs> so like most people, that <laughs> well standard. Uh, your options are medicals or engineering. And uh, my mother used to have this line that even if you don't do medicals or don't do engineering, what are you going to be? A pure? 
so so i landed up doing engineering uh, was never something i realized that very soon that it wasn't something that i you know was happy doing and mm-hmm. uh, you know so that uh, and my uh, at that point unfortunately we went through a huge loss and uh, i had to you know just take up a job and start working so did multiple jobs back then mm-hmm. and uh, i actually found uh, myself you know in the fitness industry and uh, i was very happy doing that coaching people training people and uh, post that you know like you said it wasn't sustainable at that point but i was trying to make it work and then i decided that no you know i need to take up a job so i took up a job uh, in one of the call centers and uh, i worked there for 8 years uh, different roles you know went through that whole grind of corporate uh, life mm. so but then again you know that uh, job satisfaction wasn't there and uh, in 2010 i started uh, evolution mixed martial arts which uh, way back then was something you know unheard of people right came to be doing mma but there wasn't like a full time uh, space and i tied up with a couple of people who you know we started that whole thing with uh, like i said in 2012 when it came to a point where uh, you know i i stopped working for that promotion i had two options one is to go back to my corporate job or you know give uh, give time to this thing full time and make something out of this right uh, you know one of the questions that i always asked myself working in a corporate job was i worked in a company which boasted a, a you know staff strength of about 10000 employees mm-hmm. and uh, the question was you know what was i doing you know what was my legacy i was one among 10000 i mean out of my department i'm sure that not many people even knew who jitendra kare was do i really want to just continue doing that or you know do i want to build a legacy for myself and do something you know take the risk and do something in a profession or in a sport where you know i could make something out of myself mm-hmm. so that that i guess was the main question for me and that's why i took the choice of taking that step into doing this full time uh yes financially obviously it's not been easy it is not easy i mean every time you think that okay we are settling down something happens i mean here we are two uh, you know our gym's been shut since 15th march right. and i'm hoping we can start sometime in 2020 if not 2021 <laughs> so, yeah that comes with its own challenges you know mm-hmm. uh, we were right in middle of shifting uh, our gym to um, i would say a bigger space and uh, but now obviously every with everything on hold a uh, little bit of uncertainty around how it's all going to look when we start again Mm-hmm. so yeah it, it has and it has been uh, uh, a long road you know challenging in terms of financials mm-hmm. uh, like you know this most sports in india i mean it is getting better obviously but don't have that kind of money or don't have that kind of sponsorships flowing in mm-hmm. and um, yeah but i guess you know money has uh, external factors don't motivate me as much as internal factors do i mean i like the fact that uh, you know I, I wake up every morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to training. I'm looking forward to you know doing this. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that's what keeps me going. Right. You spoke. You brought up an interesting point right now uh, about the money bit for sports, specifically in India. Do you think with martial arts or mixed martial arts, 
or any kind of combat sport or combat art i'm, I'm making the distinction by reason uh, do you think the, the reason for that is just because of the perception around it that is just violent or is so, it some other factor so i think yes perception is one of the main things because you know when we talk to sponsors as well you know the first thing is oh you know humko mara mari mein paisa nahi dalna hai we don't want to be associated with something like this mm-hmm. uh you know because i think culturally you know except for belts i mean when i say this obviously you have the northeast which has a fighting culture and then up north you know wrestling is big and but we are not a fighting culture i mean let's be really honest it's not yeah. like you know we've had generations of fighters that have uh, saved us from you know tribal then <laughs> attacks and stuff like that i mean yeah we the non violence people so yeah we like to put a put the other cheek forward type so yeah it's it's kind of yeah it's it is difficult because you know that whole image of are ye mara mari hai mm. you know when you talk to them they they still you know there are there are guys that have uh, you know sponsored our uh, events like amateur events and then they turn back and say ha but ye kaisa hai na ye thoda hardcore hai humko kya thoda na wo kicks dekhne ka tha wo hawa mein udke marte hai you're like you know this this isn't it i mean this is real fighting yeah it's not a you know it's not a, i mean it's not that you don't see that i mean we've all started seeing spinning heel kicks and fancy kicks in mma but that's not the mainstay i mean that's not the real fight so unfortunately yeah, i mean it it's it's going to take some time for people to start understanding mm-hmm. but uh, another thing that i always believe is you know we are also in a country where you see you know on the street one guy is slapping the other guy 200 people stand and watch so it's not that people aren't interested in watching the fight i think you know we need to like i've been saying this for some time we need to build a good ecosystem around the whole uh, you know the sport right so i think we'll get there we'll get there i mean uh, i wish i could say that it's going to happen soon but uh, i i doubt that i think we've already started seeing bits of it happening right i like yes, the first major promotion that i saw and i say that i say that with full intention the first major promotion that i saw was uh, brave fighting championships from bahrain coming in india just 2017 I yeah i mean it was the one of the first international promotions that yeah. came to india we had a few promotions in india mm-hmm. um and you know there's always been the talk that ufc is going to come to india at some point and whatever right. yeah i mean brave did has done i believe three shows now in india mhm and uh, you know one championship is also having have now enrolled a lot of indian fighters and you know uh, not only in uh, the actual one championship roster but also in the one warrior series roster which is a feeder to the one championship right right do you think um one is quite interesting to me actually because because of the whole culture that they have brought in it seems like they're the antithesis to a lot of what mixed martial arts in the west was turning into which was more closer to the trash talking wwe storylineesque uh promotion i i agree with you i think what uh, one is doing is one uh, see i i guess again you know a cult- the culture here plays a lot of uh, part in this i mean if you see um, the asian culture has always been the traditional martial arts like karate and you know where there's a lot of respect the bowing and you know uh, the seniors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. it's a lot about traditional martial arts and that's where i believe that you know uh, 
uh, that's why one has hit home because uh, I think a lot of Asians tend to identify with that. Right. Like a lot of Westerners tend to identify because again, you know, when you see Western, like especially America is huge with their NCAA Division One wrestling and stuff like that, which I believe is a very, very tough sport. But if you think about it, there's not, it's not like a traditional martial arts where there's a senior and a junior and there's bowing. You know, it's, it's more about two men going at it. I mean, mm -hmm. it has its pros and cons. Again, you know, right. I, I trained with uh, an NCAA Division One wrestler and, you know, he's a very close friend and one of our coaches, Nick Kilstein, and the kind of work ethic he bought and the kind of attitude, the mental, uh, you know, approach he brought to the game was phenomenal. But I think, uh, you know, what one has done is one has stuck to the roots of the Asian culture of respect and, you know, integrity and stuff like that. So I believe that's why, uh, you know, uh, true to their culture, one has not never encouraged trash talking or, you know, people being like abusive in the cage mm -hmm. or the ring and stuff like that. Like the spirit uh, of the sport. As yeah, I mean, you story. see, that's why WWF or WWE was so huge in the US as well because you know the trash talk that culture is there mm -hmm. I mean you're seeing that a lot in India also now but <laughs> I, I truly believe that you know I, I tend to I would tend to identify more with the one culture because right. you know that's how I have been brought up in traditional martial arts I mean mm -hmm. I, I started as a traditional martial artist and that's how you know my martial arts base is so, is that the sort of culture you've brought in with the team as well because that's the question I wanted to talk to you about. Because you mentioned that there is a specific, there is a certain, there is a certain culture that is there, and I've I've witnessed it when I was at the gym. There's a very, um, it's very different from what I've seen up north here, at least where I am, with a lot of gyms where they still have a little bit of, um, there's that trash talky um, about a beat your ass down sort of thing with a spar and this is your partner. But I noticed that the culture that's there in, in evolution and with Team Relentless is very, very, very different. So, um, actually, I would say, Adar, what we try and do is, uh, you know, I've always tried uh, and, uh, you know, obviously one of my uh, oldest teammates and colleagues, so show one. Uh, one thing that we've always tried and done is that, uh, you know, we've tried to stay away from the traditional thing of, you know, oh, this is a senior, this is a junior. So you, as a junior, you cannot question a senior. And, you know, that we've stayed out of. Mm -hmm. uh, mutual respect is a big thing. I, I will never tolerate disrespect to anyone. I mean, right. it's just about a senior or junior. I've, uh, so one thing, if you've noticed in the team is that we really do not have this culture of, you know, getting in a line and bowing at the end of the class. Yeah. We all get thin. So this is something that I learned from a couple of my coaches like Dennis Holman and even my own coach, uh, you know, uh, Darren De Silva. He does this thing where after, at the end of the class, you know, everyone comes together and they put their hands together and they bow to the center. So I don't bow to you. You don't bow to me. You bow to the mat. You bow to the knowledge that the mat has gotten. Hmm. And like I said, you know, so... We, we've tried not to have that distinction of a senior and a junior and oh you know just because i am been doing this longer you cannot i mean you know the kind of culture that we've always encouraged is if somebody is good at something you know, mm -hmm. please share it with us you know it's not like okay i'm the trainer right. so i will tell you what is right or what is wrong i mean there are some things that i'm good at but then there are mm -hmm. things that if each and every of my teammate is good at right so 
you know, instead of me trying to show it, I mean, they are the subject matter experts. I've always believed they should lead that class and show it mm -hmm. because they would be in a better position to answer than right. I would. And uh, I think that's the kind of culture we've always tried to balance. Uh, you know, like one thing that uh, you must have seen always is that, uh, you know, we, are, we never, it's even when we are sparring, the intensity is high, hmm. but the intention is never to hurt each other. Right. You know, it's, yes, definitely, you know, if you're sparring with me, my goal is to beat you down because that's the only way you're going to get better. Right. I'm not going to go easy on you because mm -hmm. your opponent's not going to go easy on you. Absolutely. But I don't have to hurt you. Right. You know, I have to put you in a bad spot and mm -hmm. make you realize that, okay, maybe this position or this technique's your weakness. So you can then ask questions about it and work on it. Mm -hmm. But I don't need to hurt you in that spot. I don't need to keep pounding on you or break your arm to prove that I'm better than you. And that's something, you know, which luckily we've been able to maintain in that room. Mm -hmm. It's funny how, um, it's funny how you have, and I, I don't mean you, I mean, like in general, we have people, including you, that have brought about this, this culture of pushing forward, you know, build, stacking skills on top of each other for the people who are training. And yet we have a lot of people who would probably not take up martial arts in the country. Do you think there's like, except for maybe a certain, like a certain background of people. So case in point, a lot of the queries that I've noticed are people who are not from say your metropolitans, unless it's for, unless it's for just interest or fitness. And even that would be more lax. There seems to be a very clear divide in the kind of people who are joining martial arts, not necessarily mixed martial arts, but martial arts for, for fighting or as a career versus people who are, uh, who can actually push themselves, want to, you know, get out of that rut of sitting in an office, want to do something interesting, but still don't use this as an option. Do you think there's a reason for that? So I think uh, one of the reasons obviously is that uh, I think, uh, you know, we don't have that kind of uh, exposure mm -hmm. of a possibility of a career in martial arts in India. Right. Like, you know, if you see, uh, you know, we don't have that many examples yet of people that have reached, you know, uh, the pinnacle of the sport and, you know, are uh, so-called brand ambassadors for us. Right. So I guess that is one thing which is lacking. I think that only time and, you know, once we get somebody whom we can all look up to. So if you look mm. at it, you know, in every country, there has been somebody who's done that, you know, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have the other generations following. Right. So I think, you know, that that is something which is required. And uh, once we have that one breakthrough person that makes it and, you know, is looked up to, like, I mean, let's take, uh, you know, the latest example of Conor McGregor. Right. It wasn't that Irish weren't in the UFC before this. Yeah. But once Conor McGregor made it big, it, uh, you know, it, it just brought up an entire generation of Irish fighters. Now. Right. So, you know, I, I think we need that. We need that. Like, you know, the, now there is a huge surge of uh, excellent quality fighters coming out of Australia and New Zealand. Like, you know, your Adrasanias, Alex Ovnowski, Dan the Hangman Booker, all these guys, you know, mm -hmm. and, and need that one or two breakthrough fighters in the country, you know, who make it big. And then right. everyone can look up to them and say, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. 
so i think yeah like i said you know i think the exposure of possibility of having a career in the country i mean i still get asked questions like uh, do you think i'll get paid and do you think you know if i want to do this is there financial security and one thing that i keep telling people is that you know if you want to do this you cannot do this for money or glamour i mean money isn't much right glamour really not that much i mean if you yeah you want to be the best yeah. at what you do mm-hmm. you know and you want to be a world champion then only do it otherwise there's not much motivation external motivation in this of course having a broken nose is not glamorous oh yeah like i keep like. telling uh, you know my team that you know it takes a special kind of person to do this i mean waking up in the morning and being excited about getting kicked in the face and having somebody's ass on your face every day you know you, yeah. you just have to be a different uh, person here yeah you have to be a different kind of crazy for that yeah <laughs> right sir um i want to talk to you about uh, you mentioned that we need that kind of exposure what do you think is holding us back in terms of because there are so many indian promotions that just showed up suddenly i'm not going to name one particular one of them uh that's a more recent one but um it's it's interesting how suddenly you have this whole host of uh the film industry jumping into mma trying to promote that and we still not reaching that level of say international uh fighters or anyone being excited enough to fight out of an indian promotion why do you think that is i think uh, you know adhar here's what i believe i believe that uh, you know it it it's an organic growth mm-hmm. you know it's an organic growth and i think it's not the money that you put in because mm-hmm. see understand that uh, you know like i i was mentioning this in one of my interviews and you know we are now seeing a second generation of fighters that are purely training enemy yeah you know when i started in this field what we saw was the first generation of mma fighters fighters who were wrestlers doing mma fighters who were judo players doing mma fighters who were boxers who were doing mma but now we are seeing the second generation of mma fighters which i think you know is something which takes its own time i mean right. just because yeah. you put money into it it doesn't become that you know suddenly you know you start having a level of fighter mm-hmm. and i think it's an organic growth which is happening i have always said that you know having that bollywood angle is good i mean i'm not for it or against it i mean each to their own and but it's good because yes i mean whatever we still any exposure at this moment is good exposure is a good exposure yeah yeah and uh, i i think you know uh, somewhere uh, what we need to understand is that every country every country has gone through this organic uh, growth phase you know and uh, i guess we just need to give it time because we are seeing that second generation of fighters who are good everywhere mm-hmm. you know they're not just strikers they're not just grapplers they're good everywhere and they are developing everywhere you know now coming in and fighting you know at various promotions and uh, i think you know that 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 may be the answer to you know the exposure thing rather than uh, bollywood or big promotions Understood. for me that is where the answer is right I want to talk to you about mindset because that that happens to be my pet peeve. Yeah. Um what do you think is Okay, so first question, do you think mindset can be developed or is it is it like something you're born with? I think mindset is something that you have to work on. Mhm. See, we all come I mean, see, I, I, this is what I believe. See, fear is something which is uh natural. 
right right uh, another thing i believe that is natural is doubting yourself it is how we deal with this that actually defines our mindset right and i think a lot of it also comes from uh, you know i have experienced this that a lot of it comes from your seniors your coaches the kind of people you train with mm-hmm. you know if you train with the kind of people who only train with people who are at a lower skill level than them yeah because their mindset is that oh if i get tapped out that shows i'm not good mm-hmm. then that's the kind of mindset that whole room develops right but if you are training with people whose mindset is that man i'm going to get tapped out 10 times right i'm going to get better hmm. you know i i won't get i might get tapped out in this way today and some other way tomorrow but not the same way right so i think that also helps develop mindset and that's why i believe mindset is not something we are born with right. mindset is something that i believe our environment uh, you know changes us right you know it changes a lot about us Mm-hmm. like you know i like a simple thing see when you train with guys that go hard on you all the time entering a fight there is always fear there's always doubt right. but in your head you know that everything that could have possibly been done to me has yeah. already been done in the training room <laughs> so my opponent's not going to bring anything different in the you know on the mat or in the ring or in the cage mm-hmm. that gives you a certain level of confidence right especially if you've been in you know bad sports you know in your uh, uh, in your sorry ana just can you give me a second if you don't mind sure i can hear you let's go yeah so that's that's you know that's what i believe that you know uh, mindset is something that develops uh, and especially in our sport i believe it develops with uh, the kind of people you train with mm-hmm. that was that you go through mm-hmm. you know and uh, yeah i mean that's that's my take you think that's i mean the, how's the carry over been of that mindset into everyday life because for me martial arts has always been like a whole thing as it as it has been for you it's not just in the ring or the cage or the sport it's been a way for me to kind of deal with everyday life like waking up and dealing with someone at work or dealing with someone outside of work or so i you know i believe this uh, so if you read miyamoto musashi he has this very famous saying uh, you know what uh, one does in fighting one does in life right i truly believe that i truly believe that you know your character comes out when you're fighting mm-hmm. you know and this is what i have always told people that even it is like this in life if you know every time things get difficult i get i quit or i find an easier way i will do that even in fighting right you know the moment i get i get pushed into deep waters you know the moment i get pushed into a bad spot i'll always take the option of tapping out or saying you know okay stop i, I you know my shoulder's been hurting so mm-hmm. i think you know let's just do this again and stuff like that or you know it's it's the same thing i think it's the same thing you know if you get if you're used to quitting when things get difficult you'll do that in a fight Right. and i think that's the biggest carry over that i have had from martial arts into real life mm-hmm. you know i believe that quitting is a habit you do that in life you do that in fighting simple as that you know and uh, martial arts has taught me that you know that, that there is no bad spot you cannot get out of right you, know, you just need to be there you need to think calm down think rationally 
and try and get out. And at times, maybe you don't get out. Mm-hmm. But then you learn and you get back up and keep going. Right. You know, it's just like in any martial arts, there are times when you might tap, you might get knocked out. You'll never stop. You'll mm-hmm. learn and you'll try and better yourself. I think it's similar. It's similar in life. So I identify with that a lot, actually. Right. So I'm going to ask you my second last question, which is not going to be fighting related because you already have fighting facts and you get a lot of questions there. So I'm going to bring it back to, I'm going to bring it to mindset specifically, because I know for a fact, a lot of people out here, some of them who might be listening to this, um, especially at this point are probably struggling with that voice in their head. That's uncomfortable. Now, a lot of us, we even with the strongest mindsets, do tend to reach that stage where it's tiring, especially now, because there's so much uncertainty. So I wanted to ask you specifically for anyone out there who's listening, who may be training, may not be training. How is it that they can at least start to at least, to use some of these principles that we've been using? in martial arts to not just deal with this, but also prepare themselves for next, another situation like this, maybe. Because this is fight for life. So other, I think, you know, the most important thing here is to understand one, that we are in this situation. Right. We need to accept it. Mm-hmm. We cannot ignore it. We cannot say, no, 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 you know, things aren't difficult, I'm, I'm strong. We are in this situation. Avoiding it or ignoring it is not going to help. Right. And second thing is that uh, I believe, and I've said this, you know, even in fighting facts, is that uh, we should acknowledge that if we are having a problem and we need to get help, get help. You know, I mean, when I say professional help, I don't mean go to a psychiatrist. Talk to somebody. Talk to a friend. Talk to a teammate. Talk to somebody you trust. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that is important. One is acknowledging the situation and acknowledging the fact that it is affecting you. Right. And then comes the third phase, which is making a conscious effort of it not letting it affect you. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, once you acknowledge that, yes, it does affect you, you have two choices. One is to let it affect you continuously or try and, you know, work so that you can keep your mind occupied and you don't let it affect you. Right. I think that is the second uh, side to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I truly believe one of the lessons that I learned in this is that it was very difficult even for me initially being an active guy, you know, to just go from that from 100 back to zero and sitting there and doing nothing. Right. But, you know, I, I started talking to people and I started talking to, you know, I, I spoke to my friends and everyone said that, why don't you do something to keep yourself active? And then I started talking to other teammates. And we realized that, yes, we are in this situation. Mm -hmm. We are all getting to a point where it was getting frustrating, where it was getting depressing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we came up was, you know, we are just going to train. Yes, it will not be as in the training room. It won't be that intense. It won't be like a sparring session. But we are going to make it a point to train twice a day. Mm -hmm. And we all got together and we are doing that. And I think it has helped all of us. Generally, you know, it has lifted the entire team's mood. It has made us... Uh, more relaxed has made us better. Right. So I think, you know, that's one thing that uh, I think, like I said, we need to do is make a conscious choice of not letting it affect us. Because one thing is it's not controlled by us. Like we've known that initially it was for 
two or three weeks, then it got extended, it got extended, now again two weeks and it's not like it's going away. Let's face the right. fact, what is going to happen is they're going to let us out at some point, I hope, in 2020. But that doesn't take the situation away. Right. We are still faced with a serious threat and we are still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So, what is the best we can do with it? Right. Because, I mean, we wish we could do away with it, but we can't. We have to deal with it. And I think that, you know, just hiding or just, you know, sitting is not going to help us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like any other, uh, you know, situation like we were just talking about in martial arts as well. It's in front of you. Right. What do you do? What's the best you can do with this? You face it however best you can. I mean, like, we don't have an option. We have to right. face it, right? It's like being locked in a cage. Right. You have an opponent. You have to face him. Mm-hmm. I think it's a similar situation. We have to face this. What's the best we can do is the question here. Right. Right, sir. My last question before you head for training. Where can these people find you? Find me? Uh, so, I'm not a big... <laughs> uh, I've just started becoming tech savvy. So, I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for Jitendra Khare. I'm on Facebook. Right. And uh, one place you'll surely find me is in the training room. <laughs> so, Google Evolution Fitness and Combat Sports Academy. Right. Uh, you'll find me uh, like a permanent fixture on the mat. <laughs> I'm always there. <laughs> right, sir. Thank you so much for doing this and thank you for the sessions. We've been training every week and I've been loving it. It's, it's a pleasure, Radhar. It's a pleasure. And that was a great session that you led today, man. It was good. Thanks for sharing uh, you know, your knowledge. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you're doing. I think this is beautiful. And I really hope a lot of people kind of at some point take the plunge, break out of that rut and see what martial arts really is as opposed to the, the image in their head. Yeah, like Henzo, I think like Henzo had once said, right? At least once in your life, train as if your life depends on it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it puts a lot of things into perspective. (laughs) Absolutely. It it was a complete pleasure. Thanks, Adar. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Bye. See you in training. See you, sir.